section sixty one of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven continued john ruskin eighteen nineteen nineteen hundred in approaching the study of ruskin we are to remember first of all that we are dealing with a great and good man who is himself more inspiring than any of his books in some respects he is like his friend carlyle whose disciple he acknowledged himself to be but he is broader in his sympathies and in every way more hopeful helpful and humane thus in the face of the drudgery and poverty of the competitive system carlyle proposed with grim satire of swift's modest proposal to organize an annual hunt in which successful people should shoot the unfortunate and to use the game for the support of the army and navy ruskin facing the same problem wrote i will endure it no longer quietly but henceforward with any few or many who will help do my best to abate this misery then leaving the field of art criticism where he was the acknowledged leader he begins to write of labor and justice gives his fortune in charity in establishing schools and libraries and founds his st george's guild of workingmen to put in practice the principles of brotherhood and cooperation for which he and carlyle contended though his style marks him as one of the masters of english prose he is generally studied not as a literary man but as an ethical teacher and we shall hardly appreciate his works unless we see behind every book the figure of the heroically sincere man who wrote it life ruskin was born in london in eighteen nineteen his father was a prosperous wine merchant who gained a fortune in trade and who spent his leisure hours in the company of good books and pictures on his tombstone one may still read this inscription written by ruskin he was an entirely honest merchant and his memory is to all who keep it dear and helpful his son whom he loved to the uttermost and taught to speak truth says this of him ruskin's mother a devout and somewhat austere woman brought her son up with puritanical strictness not forgetting solomon's injunction that the rod and reproof give wisdom of ruskin's early years at herne hill on the outskirts of london it is better to read his own interesting record in praeterita it was in some respects a cramped and lonely childhood but certain things which strongly moulded his character are worthy of mention first he was taught by word and example in all things to speak the truth and he never forgot the lesson second he had few toys and spent much time in studying the leaves the flowers the grass the clouds even the figures and colors of the carpet and so laid the foundation for that minute and accurate observation which is manifest in all his writings third he was educated first by his mother then by private tutors and so missed the discipline of the public schools the influence of this lonely training is evident in all his work like carlyle he is often too positive and dogmatic the result of failing to test his work by the standards of other men of his age fourth he was obliged to read the bible every day and to learn long passages verbatim the result of this training was he says 
to make every word of the scriptures familiar to my ear in habitual music we can hardly read a page of his later work without finding some reflection of the noble simplicity or vivid imagery of the sacred records fifth he traveled much with his father and mother and his innate love of nature was intensified by what he saw on his leisurely journeys through the most beautiful parts of england and the continent ruskin entered christ church college oxford in eighteen thirty six when only seventeen years old he was at this time a shy sensitive boy a lover of nature and of every art which reflects nature but almost entirely ignorant of the ways of boys and men an attack of consumption with which he had long been threatened caused him to leave oxford in eighteen forty and for nearly two years he wandered over italy searching for health and cheerfulness and gathering materials for the first volume of modern painters the book that made him famous ruskin's literary work began in childhood when he was encouraged to write freely in prose and poetry a volume of poems illustrated by his own drawings was published in eighteen fifty nine after he had won fame as a prose writer but save for the drawings it is of small importance the first volume of modern painters eighteen forty three was begun as a heated defense of the artist turner but it developed into an essay on art as a true picture of nature not only in her outward aspect but in her inward spirit the work which was signed simply oxford graduate aroused a storm of mingled approval and protest but however much critics warred over its theories of art all were agreed that the unknown author was a master of descriptive prose ruskin now made frequent trips to the art galleries of the continent and produced four more volumes of modern painters during the next seventeen years meanwhile he wrote other books seven lamps of architecture eighteen forty nine stones of venice eighteen fifty one eighteen fifty three pre-raphaelitism and numerous lectures and essays which gave him a place in the world of art similar to that held by matthew arnold in the world of letters in eighteen sixty nine he was appointed professor of art at oxford a position which greatly increased his prestige and influence not only among students but among a great variety of people who heard his lectures and read his published works lectures on art aratra pentelici parentheses lectures on sculpture ariadne florentina parentheses lectures on engraving michelangelo and tintoret the art of england val d'arno parentheses lectures on tuscan art st mark's rest parentheses a history of venice mornings in florence parentheses studies in christian art now much used as a guidebook to the picture galleries of florence the laws of fiesole parentheses a treatise on drawing and painting for schools academy of fine arts in venice pleasures of england all these works on art show ruskin's literary industry and we must also record love's miney parentheses a study of birds proserpina parentheses a study of flowers 
deucalion parentheses a study of waves and stones besides various essays on political economy which indicate that ruskin like arnold had begun to consider the practical problems of his age at the height of his fame in eighteen sixty ruskin turned for a time from art to consider questions of wealth and labor terms which were used glibly by the economists of the age without much thought for their fundamental meaning there is no wealth but life announced ruskin life including all its powers of love of joy and of admiration that country is the richest which nourishes the greatest number of noble and happy human beings such a doctrine proclaimed by goldsmith in his deserted village was regarded as a pretty sentiment but coming from one of the greatest leaders and teachers of england it was like a bombshell ruskin wrote four essays establishing this doctrine and pleading for a more socialistic form of government in which reform might be possible the essays were published in the cornhill magazine of which thackeray was editor they aroused such a storm that the publication was discontinued ruskin then published the essays in book form with the title unto this last in eighteen sixty two munera pulveris eighteen sixty two was another work in which the principles of capital and labor and the evils of the competitive system were discussed in such a way that the author was denounced as a visionary or a madman other works of this practical period are time and tide force clavigera sesame and lilies and the crown of wild olive the latter part of ruskin's life was a time of increasing sadness due partly to the failure of his plans and partly to public attacks upon his motives or upon his sanity he grew bitter at first as his critics ridiculed or denounced his principles and at times his voice is as querulous as that of carlyle we are to remember however the conditions under which he struggled his health had been shattered by successive attacks of disease he had been disappointed in love his marriage was unhappy and his work seemed a failure he had given nearly all his fortune in charity and the poor were more numerous than ever before his famous st george's guild was not successful and the tyranny of the competitive system seemed too deeply rooted to be overthrown on the death of his mother he left london and in eighteen seventy nine retired to brantwood on coniston lake in the beautiful region beloved by wordsworth here he passed the last quiet years of his life under the care of his cousin mrs severn the angel of the house and wrote at professor norton's suggestion Preterita, one of his most interesting books in which he describes the events of his youth from his own viewpoint he died quietly in nineteen hundred and was buried as he wished without funeral pomp or public ceremony in the little churchyard at coniston works of ruskin there are three little books which in popular favor stand first on the list of ruskin's numerous works ethics of the dust a series of lectures to little housewives which appeals most to women 
crown of wild olive three lectures on work traffic and war which appeals to thoughtful men facing the problems of work and duty and sesame and lilies which appeals to men and women alike the last is the most widely known of ruskin's works and the best with which to begin our reading sesame and lilies the first thing we notice in sesame and lilies is the symbolical title sesame taken from the story of the robbers cave in the arabian nights means a secret word or talisman which unlocks a treasure house it was intended no doubt to introduce the first part of the work called of king's treasuries which treats of books and reading lilies taken from isaiah as a symbol of beauty purity and peace introduces the second lecture of queen's gardens which is an exquisite study of woman's life and education these two lectures properly constitute the book but a third is added on the mystery of life the last begins in a monologue upon his own failures in life and is pervaded by an atmosphere of sadness sometimes of pessimism quite different from the spirit of the other two lectures king's treasuries though the theme of the first lecture is books ruskin manages to present to his audience his whole philosophy of life he gives us with a wealth of detail the description of what constitutes a real book he looks into the meaning of words and teaches us how to read using a selection from milton's lycidas as an illustration this study of words gives us the key with which we are to unlock king's treasuries that is the books which contain the precious thoughts of the kingly minds of all ages he shows the real meaning and end of education the value of labor and of a purpose in life he treats of nature science art literature religion he defines the purpose of government showing that soul life not money or trade is the measure of national greatness and he criticizes the general injustice of his age quoting a heart-rending story of toil and suffering from the newspapers to show how close his theory is to daily needs here is an astonishing variety in a small compass but there is no confusion ruskin's mind was wonderfully analytical and one subject develops naturally from the other of queen's gardens in the second lecture of queen's gardens he considers the question of woman's place and education which tennyson had attempted to answer in the princess ruskin's theory is that the purpose of all education is to acquire power to bless and to redeem human society and that in this noble work woman must always play the leading part he searches all literature for illustrations and his description of literary heroines especially of shakespeare's perfect women is unrivaled ruskin is always at his best in writing of women or for women and the lofty idealism of this essay together with its rare beauty of expression makes it on the whole the most delightful and inspiring of his works unto this last among ruskin's practical works the reader will find in fors clavigera a series of letters to working men and unto this last four essays on the principles of political economy the substance of his economic teachings 
in the latter work starting with the proposition that our present competitive system centers about the idea of wealth ruskin tries to find out what wealth is and the pith of his teaching is this that men are of more account than money that a man's real wealth is found in his soul not in his pocket and that the prime object of life and labor is the producing of as many as possible full-breathed bright-eyed and happy-hearted human creatures to make this ideal practical ruskin makes four suggestions one that training schools be established to teach young men and women three things the laws and practice of health habits of gentleness and justice and the trade or calling by which they are to live two that the government establish farms and workshops for the production of all the necessaries of life where only good and honest work shall be tolerated and where a standard of work and wages shall be maintained three that any person out of employment shall be received at the nearest government school if ignorant he shall be educated and if competent to do any work he shall have the opportunity to do it four that comfortable homes be provided for the sick and for the aged and that this be done in justice not in charity a laborer serves his country as truly as does a soldier or a statesman and a pension should be no more disgraceful in one case than in the other works on art among ruskin's numerous books treating of art we recommend the seven lamps of architecture eighteen forty nine stones of venice eighteen fifty one eighteen fifty three and the first two volumes of modern painters eighteen forty three eighteen forty six with ruskin's art theories which as sidney smith prophesied worked a complete revolution in the world of taste we need not concern ourselves here we simply point out four principles that are manifest in all his work one that the object of art as of every other human endeavor is to find and to express the truth two that art in order to be true must break away from conventionalities and copy nature three that morality is closely allied with art and that a careful study of any art reveals the moral strength or weakness of the people that produced it for that the main purpose of art is not to delight a few cultured people but to serve the daily uses of common life the giving brightness to pictures is much he says but the giving brightness to life is more in this attempt to make art serve the practical ends of life ruskin is allied with all the great writers of the period who use literature as the instrument of human progress general characteristics one who reads ruskin is in a state of mind analogous to that of a man who goes through a picture gallery pausing now to admire a face or a landscape for its own sake and again to marvel at the technical skill of the artist without regard to his subject for ruskin is a great literary artist and a great ethical teacher and we admire one page for its style and the next for its message to humanity 
the best of his prose which one may find in the descriptive passages of preterita and modern painters is written in a richly ornate style with a wealth of figures and allusions and at times a rhythmic melodious quality which makes it almost equal to poetry ruskin has a rare sensitiveness to beauty in every form and more perhaps than any other writer in our language he has helped us to see and appreciate the beauty of the world around us ethical teaching as for ruskin's ethical teaching it appears in so many forms and in so many different works that any summary must appear inadequate for a full half century he was the apostle of beauty in england and the beauty for which he pleaded was never sensuous or pagan as in the renaissance but always spiritual appealing to the soul of man rather than to his eyes leading to better work and better living in his economic essays ruskin is even more directly and positively ethical to mitigate the evils of the unreasonable competitive system under which we labor and sorrow to bring master and man together in mutual trust and helpfulness to seek beauty truth goodness as the chief ends of life and having found them to make our characters correspond to share the best treasures of art and literature with rich and poor alike to labor always and whether we work with hand or head to do our work in praise of something that we love this sums up ruskin's purpose and message and the best of it is that like chaucer's country parson he practiced his doctrine before he preached it End of section sixty one